Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. I'm having so much more fun now. I have let them show me how to live their way. This is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 243. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Freaky Magazine. I contribute material to every issue, so give it a try. Hey kids, have you read Freaky? The magazine of weird humor for freaks like you. Freaky Magazine is a way out collection of weirdo comics, kooky gags, photo funnies, social satire, and surreal collage. 52 pages of insanity in the tradition of magazines of yore like Cracked, Plop, and Zap. Special offer for Fun Ideas listeners, get a free sample copy in the mail, made of smelly newsprint and smudgy ink the old-fashioned way. Just message your mailing address to the slow poisoner at gmail.com that's the slow poisoner at gmail.com while supplies last you remember them from your childhood half for the friendly ghost richie ridge hot stuff baby hooey sad sack and little audrey you read them in comic books and saw them on television and in the movies now you can read about how they and other Harvey comic characters were created in two great books from Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions, The Best of Harveyville Fun Times and The Harvey Comic Companion. Both are available from Amazon. The Companion is also available from Fair Manor Media. They are available in hardcover, paperback, and ebook versions. Order your copies today. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by popoptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift. I plan to go on Charles F. Rosene's Magical History Tour in 2024. And here is Charles to talk about it. Hey, hey, this is Charles Rosene, sometime guest here on the Fun Ideas podcast. Have you ever thought of taking a Beatles tour to Liverpool? Well, I host and organize the Magical History Tour every summer, www.liverpooltours.com. But I'm here to tell you about two other things. My books. Yes, Mark isn't the only author. I've recently published the book of Top Ten Beatles Lists, where 64 celebrities gave their top ten favorite Beatles-themed lists with reasons why. And... 
photos and all kind of fun stuff, please check it out, www.bookoftop10beatleslist.com. It's the follow-up to www.bookoftop10horrorlists.com, where a hundred celebrities gave their favorite horror lists. Enjoy the upcoming show, and thank you for listening to my ad. Buy your Christmas and holiday gifts now. Why not Stars of the Walt Disney Productions? Or how about Pac-Man, the first animated TV show based upon a video game? Or the revised and updated Looking for the Good Times Monkey book? Or one of 15 other books written by Mark Arnold? All are available through Amazon and Barnes and & Noble, and most through Bear Manor Media. Unconditionally Mad and Not Just Happy Together is still being formatted and both should see publication in 2024. I am currently at work on an article about Mr. Weatherby and am working on my TV animation book and another monkey's book and a book on Marvel's Crazy Magazine. More on that later. On today's show, we have a master storyteller and an expert in animation. Here he is, Don Norwin. Hi, this is Mark Arnold with another episode of Fun Ideas Podcast. And today we have a special guest, uh, Don Norwin, and he is an animation fan like me <laughs> so we're going to discuss animation i guess he's a fan of the grinch and uh the looney tunes and what else you got back there <laughs> you got tommy so yeah it's, it's good to meet you mark yeah this room currently is set up up and i guess i can i only put the hat on because i figured since tom cedo wore a patch i, I had to i had to do something besides an eye patch so i, I went <laughs> with the hat so very good since it is since it is christmas uh, I generally have most of the Grinch stuff in my office uh, along the wall here and in, in fact, most of the other rooms at this point. Um, and I guess most of my collection or a good portion of it is um, divided between Warner Brothers and, and Disney. Okay. Now, um, where are you hailing from today and uh, how did you get interested in all this animation stuff? Double question. I, uh, I'm in Texas uh, currently. Okay. Uh, spent... I was going to say I spent most of my life in Wisconsin, but I guess at my age, most of my life's been spent down here now. So <laughs> um, um, I uh, I guess I got interested in animation long before I knew it was actually animation. Uh, my grandfather um, was good friends with Walt Disney. Oh. And uh, he, he owned Wolf Printing Company, which got bought by Western and Western Publishing. Right. And my grandfather kept the uh, Golden Books and uh, Gold Key Dell comic licenses. And all of those, of course, were were managed almost exclusively at that time by Walt himself. Hmm. And so Walt would come to St. Louis, which is where my grandfather was uh, and Western uh, was at that time. And uh, and he and Walt got to be friends and, and Walt would come out to the house in St. Louis. And and I remember getting to, to meet him and, and spend some time talking to him. However, at that age... And and I generally don't tell people exactly how old I am because I like to make it more of an arithmetic. But I would say on the south side of when I was born, uh, Chuck Jones was releasing things like Duck 'Em Up, Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century, uh, Bully for Bugs, you know, those kinds. And on the mm -hmm. north side, it was like one froggy evening, Zoom and Board. <laughs> so, you know, if that doesn't pinpoint. And of course, Disney had Cinderella, Alice in Wonder Wonderland on the south side. Mm -hmm. and Lady in the Tramp and, and uh, Sleeping Beauty on the, on the north side. So framed mm -hmm. in there uh, gives you a perspective that I'm older than, than dirt. But Walt would come out to the house, and, and when I would meet him at that time, I was probably, I guess the first time I met him, I was maybe nine. 
And at that point, Walt was really just the guy that owned Disneyland. And, mm -hmm. and to me, that was the coolest thing ever. Well, and, of course, he was hosting the TV show at that point, so he said something, didn't but, he? <laughs> but he was still the guy that owned Disneyland. And right. Nine -year -old right. Kid, okay, I get it. I get it. Okay, nice. <laughs> that was kind of my jam, right? He was he was that guy. Yeah. So uh, he was, you know, I, I got to meet him, which was which was great. Unfortunately, I probably didn't get to ask him anything like I would ask him today if right. if I had had a chance to meet him now. But that was kind of the the wonderful thing that 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 was part of that. And and during that time, during the time that I was growing up, um, my babysitter was the television and <laughs> cartoons were obviously my drug of choice. Mm -hmm. And and that was pretty much, you know, if you wanted to turn on the TV, it was going to be cartoons. And I guess when I went through, you know, growing up that way, I, I got to the point where it, it was just really second nature and it and it had a genesis that really formed a lot more of what was going on in my life. For mm -hmm. instance, when uh, my mother always was, oh, you should take piano lessons. I said, oh, great, fine, whatever. <laughs> so when I did, I went and the person that um, I went to see, who was at that time probably older than Lincoln, but I'm not sure. <laughs> and she said, what kind of music do you like? And I said, uh, I don't know what kind, but I, you know, said, I'll sing something. I did. She goes, oh, you like Wagner? And I said, yeah, I like Wagner, whatever. But I was, I was singing Ride of the Valkyries from, you know, What's Opera Doc? And, you know, then, <laughs> you know, the band leader, you know, Disney's band leader was William Tell Overture from Rossini. So, okay. you know, I was doing all these songs from cartoons and she said, oh, you like Wagner, you like Von Stuck, you like, you know, and she was listening. I'm going, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like all those. So, my piano training was all classical music at that time. Mm -hmm. So now did you actually become a good pianist or did you just do that as a child? <laughs> I I actually became fairly good. Mm -hmm. I just after a while when, you know, I got to a point where my mom could pick on my sister, I was I was kind of okay, I'll I'll be done with piano for now. Sounds like me with piano. I, I went through it for about 10 years, you know, from age five to like 15 or something like that. And mm -hmm. then I just kind of right. gave, gave it up, you know, probably for girls or whatever. You know? <laughs> but, probably for anything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the good thing is I did learn about classical music. I did learn music theory and uh, I know how to compose. Uh, so, I mean, there, and I just know all the, the things about music, which is very helpful you know, when I'm listening to music or writing about music or something, just that I can draw and stuff like that. But anyway, it, it, and like you, you know, I've never been an animator, although I wanted to be one. So did you ever want to be one? Oh, I wanted to be one with all my heart. I just <laughs> knew I never had the skill that would get me there. In fact, yeah. um, I had met Chuck Jones many times uh, during the latter part of his life after I started getting really interested in, in Warner Brothers. And at one point he said, I told him, I said, I, I really love watching you draw because I have no artistic capability. He goes, I could teach you to draw Bugs Bunny. And I said, <laughs> don't don't make a bet you can't win because you, you can't. But I, I appreciate the fact that you think you you could. Yeah. But to those people that have that talent, you know, you look at a Tom Cito, a Bob Kurtz, uh, Floyd Norman, yeah. uh, you watch them 
the way their hand moves across the paper. And to me, it's just absolute awe. Right. Because it's it's a skill that I don't possess. And I obviously don't have the talent to ever possess it. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. I did want to become an animator. I do have uh, the ability to draw. And I can draw uh, pretty realistic. Not as good as the the top masters there. You know, you're mentioning Chuck Jones and everybody. But what I didn't have was patience. And... Um, I realized, you know, it's like, it's a long, hard slog. And I don't know when you were kind of interested if you did enter the industry, but in my case, it was the early eighties that I was going to be entering and animation was like way at the bottom of, you know, good stuff at that time as a Mm -hmm. career choice and just what was being presented in animation. So I abandoned that and went to television and radio and got a degree in that. But, <laughs> you know, uh, I never lost my interest in animation. So I'm like you, you know, I, I've collected a lot of the things like you have on the wall, statues, toys, cells, uh, animation drawings and everything like that. So, you know, I guess we have that in common. And uh, you know, our, fr- our mutual friend who introduced us, Camden Spees, you know, he's all into that too, and he can't draw worth a lick either. So it's like, <laughs> but the other side of that is Camden knows more than any human should be allowed to know. Right? I know. I, mean, I, has, I, I go, wow. Has, <laughs> I, I spent some time uh, talking to him one time at, mm-hmm. I think it was at a Chuck Jones event, but I can't remember. Yeah. And uh, in about five minutes, he said about 19 things that I was like, I had no clue. Yeah. I just, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. About, about uh, animation films and cartoons that I probably should have known that about, by right. the way. Right. About the only thing I've, I've uh, educated him on is uh, um, my perspective of things in real time. Like, I can't tell you what happened in the 1950s because I wasn't there. It's was born in the 60s, 66. But, uh, in fact, on Walt Disney's death day, I was born. <laughs> it's my actual birthday. <laughs> but, uh, you know, but I can tell people what my experience was growing up in california during the 70s and 80s you know and you know some parallels what people said about that time period and some doesn't you know it depends on what it is so that's what i'd like to educate camden about because it's not generally a sweeping generalization across country i mean this isn't animation but you know he he, we were talking about abbott and castello and he says, didn't you see the Abbott and Costello show growing up? And I go, no, no. It was all in black and white, and they didn't like showing black and white things in the San Francisco area. So I never saw it until it came out on DVD, you know. And here he is, you know, <laughs> younger than I was when I first was exposed to it. He has it on Blu-ray and all that stuff. And he goes, you know, well, I go, you have the benefit of <laughs> everybody like us wanting this stuff out and wanting the ability to own it and now you can so it's like but it wasn't that easy in the early days so right yeah so that's that's kind of in a a nutshell and that's the the walt disney part of it i guess at that point i didn't know animators as much as i knew because my grandfather was at western Mm -hmm. i knew a lot of the illustrators for the golden books Mm -hmm. right so while they're not the animators like the mark davis and the you know thomas and johnson and those folks, you know, they were the people like Flug and Weitzman and and those who, you know, kind of rose up and made a name as 
an illustrator rather than you know an animator but the parallels to me are you know about the same mm -hmm. you know an animator has to worry about timing and all of that and i right. get that and an illustrator is just oh yeah okay i'll, I'll draw this picture and be done with it mm -hmm. now, no, i'm you... not a huge fan of, of show and tell on this but I'll, i will say okay. this is a book that i always have on my shelf oh wow i don't even i it's... don't think i've ever seen that Oh, it's, I think it came out in 62, 63, yeah. somewhere. And it's a little, well, it's actually the big golden book yeah. uh, that Western did for uh, Gay Paris. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that sits next to it is I have the original stat camera sheet that that book was shot from. Oh, wow. <laughs> so uh, everybody can run out and get the book. Yeah. This is the the one that Western did the the actual book production from. Now, so, did you things like that that I like? Did you tour around uh, Western publishing, or was it not something to be bothered with, or what? It, oh, I I loved it. In fact, I, okay. I'm sure that there were a lot of people there that hated Fridays because on <laughs> Friday I would go into work with my grandfather, mm -hmm. and then at lunch I you know my grandmother worked down there, so I would I would then uh, ride back with her at lunch. But during that time. My grandfather would say, "Okay, I, I've got, I've got important stuff to do," and he'd be off, mm -hmm. and I'd be wandering around Western. I'm sure that you know, if OSHA was around as big now, <laughs> they would have shut that place down in a heartbeat, right. because I was walking around all the floors where they cut the playing cards and printed the book. They had the lithography presses running. Mm -hmm. It was, and it, to me, it was just, it was just an all sorts of uh, a new magic. Now, did they actually? Uh, create the books and the comics and everything there, or is everybody did it out of their own homes and ma mailed it in? It, most, oh, almost all of the artwork things, they didn't have the artists really on on staff, okay. obviously. Okay. Most of those, in fact, were kind of like, I guess we would consider more freelance photography kind of, right? right. They would send in and, and they'd be under contract with, with either Disney, if it was a, you know, a, a Disney comic or uh, you know, a Disney golden book like Sleeping, Ron Diaz, for instance, who worked on Sleeping Beauty as a, um, I think he was a background artist, one of the best, actually. And uh, he did, the obviously, the little golden book, a lot of the animation or the, the illustration work for uh, the little golden book, Sleeping Beauty. Mm -hmm. And did you know how the process was done for any of those type of books? Like, uh, were there certain artists that were assigned those books because they could draw a book illustration better than say an animation cell or, or did you know anything about that? I, I didn't really know a lot about that except the, the people that drew those that were illustrators mm -hmm. never uh, I'm, I'm thinking, but I don't know of any instance where any of them did anything like animation. I mean, there's, they were just book illustrators. Right. And that was, that was kind of what they did versus the animators who are kind of the next plane up in my, in my book. Right. I, I guess, you know, that kind of came later with like Hanna-Barbera or something where they had some of the animators doing the comics and the books but, and stuff yeah. at the same time. And but, a lot of that was done in-house with um, Hanna-Barbera. Right. And they were doing a lot of that and producing that. So they had the animators and they had all of that already on staff, you know, Western or even Simon and Schuster at the time, you know, they were basically putting together books and they were using, you know, Disney said, you know, here's the artist you're going to use for this Scrooge book or whatever it was. And yeah. that's what they did. Yeah. 
because I was thinking on Disney, you know, people like Carl Barks and uh, Walt Kelly and stuff like that. Then they originally worked for Disney and then they left and right. started working for comics and their own things and whatever, you know. Yeah, so, and, and I I did uh, I remember seeing Carl Barks because he did a lot of the animation for um, the uh, the Duck comics. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, he's kind of the Duck guy, right? Right. So <laughs> when when they started doing Scrooge and things like that, Carl Barks did a lot of that animation for the comics, mm -hmm. Goldkey and and Dal. Mm -hmm. So. Going back a little bit, you you said you met Disney many times. Um, was uh, Disney your only love originally, or did you just love everything like the Fleischer stuff? And well, uh, I was. What know, else was it? Universal Woody Woodpecker, whatever. Oh, oh yeah, I was. To me, I didn't even categorize cartoons by oh, this is Disney or this is Hanna Barbera or this is you know Fleischer or this is Looney. Uh, to mm -hmm. me, it was it was a cartoon. Yeah. Because that was long before I knew that, you know, it took thousands and thousands of cells to make several minutes of, of animation. Right. But, you know, no, I probably didn't know. No, I, I didn't. Uh, to me, it was, <laughs> it, it's a cartoon and I like it. I knew what I liked, right? I like the Flintstones and I like the, all the Hanna-Barbera stuff. I mean, when, when they started going through that and, and even, even some of the stuff that was, you know, what I was considered real campy, I was kind of okay with that, <laughs> as long as it's animation. Yeah, I was so pretty much. The it same wasn't way until I later that yeah that uh -huh. I started saying, you know, now now that I know what animation is and and what the different cartoons are, and actually started to look at some of the different styles of the animators, and even getting to know some of the animators, that's what made some of those cartoons even more special mm -hmm. than. You know, they would have been if I just said, I love cartoons. Right. Now, in my case, uh, the book that was the game changer was uh, Leonard Maltin's Of Mice and Magic. Uh, I was like 15 when that came out, and I just ate it up, basically. <laughs> I absorbed it. Uh, did you have any similar type of epiphany book that kind of made you from just a you know i'm watching cartoons to wow i really want to know about the history of this and everything else i think that followed after i started uh really getting into animation before mm -hmm. i started collecting animation in earnest i collected um what i'll call cartoon art but mm -hmm. it's like comic strip art right if you look at you know the different comic strips and comic books i collected a lot of that art and that's where I really, what really led me back into animation with a passion, because when I looked at a, a, a standard comic book panel, it was mm -hmm. generally three panels, maybe four. And it was the setup, the story, and then the punch. And that's kind of like, that's why they were all three or four panels long. Mm -hmm. And then I started seeing things like, Gary Larson and Bizarro from uh, Dan Perraro. And, mm -hmm. you know, some of those, even Tom Wilson with Ziggy, some of those that started doing this or always did the single pane comics, right? It was right. only one frame. There mm -hmm. was no setup. There was no, it was all there. And with one caption, the whole story was right there. And I thought, mm -hmm. this is really amazing, right? They, <laughs> they told me a whole story and I didn't have to look to the right or the left. It was right there in front of me. Right. And years later, well, not years, it was probably 
That was in the early to mid 80s. In 89, Diane and I were driving down uh, Pat Coast Highway and we were going to Laguna or La Jolla or Los Angeles, one of the L cities down the coast. Mm-hmm. And when we got to Corona Del Mar, uh, Diane slammed on the brakes and said, look at that. And I looked over and there was this yellow awning. All it said on it was Chuck Jones and the window was filled with animation. Hmm. And so we went in and that's when I bought my first cell. Hmm. And I did that because when I walked in, it was a, a cell of, of Max and the Grinch where he was shaking Max. Mm-hmm. And I realized that with no text, no other information, I knew exactly what that single pane was telling me mm-hmm. and probably knew what the dialogue behind it was, <laughs> even if I didn't have a complete concept grasp of the movie. Mm-hmm. And that to me took you know, amazing stuff to the next level. So was this shop, what was it? Uh, just Chuck Jones's studio? It was a Chuck or? Jones gallery. It was oh, a, it was a gallery. It, okay. okay. Yeah, it was, but it was, I think it was, it was the only one in Corona Del Mar because that's where Chuck lived. I think at that time he yeah. lived in, well, mm-hmm. not at that time, he lived in Corona Del Mar. Mm-hmm. And so that was the, the Chuck Jones gallery and they would, you know, sell, sell all of it. Mm-hmm. And they started doing um, collector events where, <laughs> You know, when you would buy cells there and then every once a year they would have, um, you know, the Chuck Jones get together, whatever, whatever it was called. I don't recall. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. But they would hold that. And that's where on a weekend it would start like on a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And during that time, some point in time, Chuck would make an appearance. Mm. And it was it was astounding to watch because when Chuck would come in. It was like the whole place was just kind of din going on. And Chuck would walk in and it was it was nothing. Silence. <laughs> and he would sit down and start, you know, telling stories and talking. Mm-hmm. And the people sat cross-legged on the floor. Nobody said a word. I mean, wow. you would have thought that, you know, <laughs> we're now seeing something that everybody knew was just incredibly, uh, you know, incredibly uh, a, an incredible gift. To be mm-hmm. able to listen to somebody that, you know, that was Chuck Jones. Mm-hmm. And during that time, we had a chance uh, during that period of time, several over several events. Uh, Diane and I had uh, got a chance to sit with Chuck at the animation table while he did a couple of commissions for us. Mm-hmm. And the one that that I really um, love, and I think I mentioned it last time, um, he was doing a, a Grinch with Cindy Lou Who with a Cindy Lou's holding out the big red ornament and the Grinch is taking it from him. And he was drawing. And of course, his hand would just, was so fluid as it moved across the page. And he hardly even looked at it. He would be looking at us and asking us questions and and talking. And and at one point in time, he looked down, he went, he was drawing Cindy Lou's head. And it looked more like an egg or something. I mean, it was was way (laughs) off model. Right. But it wasn't the kind of thing where I was going to go, oh, that's way off model because it was Chuck. And if it was off model, that was by design, I'm sure. Yeah. And even my friend who was standing out there went, I could see him shaking his head going, oh, man, that that isn't right. And Chuck (laughs) looked down and he went, oh, this isn't right. And he took an eraser and erased the entire the entire, I'd never seen him using it. I didn't even know he had an eraser. <laughs> and he, and, and he drew it again. And the entire piece is spot on mine. You know, wow. It's an absolute masterpiece. <laughs> so, 
So that, can't get that, that dis- kind of can't get distracted talking to you, I guess. No, and uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, I, I I guess you mentioned it at the top of the show. It's like it, so. Who are some of the animation greats that you've met over the years? If you want to just name drop for a few minutes. Oh, I love the name drop. <laughs> so I, I think one of my and, I, and there I'll, I'll caveat a couple of things before I I go on so that people don't think that oh he likes that because it's that there are some people that would say you know what do you think of of some of the Disney movies and and my first go to is kind of it, it, you know I would look at and say you know I, I like Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. But I like Sleeping Beauty for a lot of reasons that people would say, uh, you know what, that doesn't sit in my top five of, of Disney's. But I like it because I know Floyd Norman. Mm-hmm. And as the first black animator, that was the film that he worked on first when he started with Disney. Mm-hmm. Ron Diaz, who was a very good friend, mm-hmm. um, was did a lot of the background work on, on Sleeping Beauty. And, and that, I think that was one of the first films he might have worked on at the time. Mm-hmm. And my dearest friend, currently is Mary Costa. Mm. And I mean, Mary and I talk, I don't know, probably every month at least. And, you know, she was the voice of Aurora. Right. And, uh, and actually an opera star in her own right, obviously. (laughs) So, um, you know, when I, when I put all that together and I look at something like Sleeping Beauty, that, that whole thing means a little more to me than some of the others, because I, I just feel a little more connected to it. Mm-hmm. I think Mark Davis is probably, I don't want to say the best animator ever, but he certainly is way, way up there in my mind. Mm. I, I think that that his eye to paper was absolutely exquisite. Right. And mm-hmm. I remember I had met him before, but what I thought was interesting was I had a chance to uh, meet uh, Alice, who in Alice Davis? Oh, okay. And, I was saying, yes, like, sorry, Ka- Catherine Just, Beaumont. A random Alice. <laughs> Pick an Alice. That's what I Okay. <laughs> but uh, I had a, a collection of photographs that mm-hmm. I had gotten, and they were photographs that were taken of the small world uh, dolls when mm-hmm. the exhibit was installed at the World's Fair in New York in 64. And pictures were taken and sent back to T. He because he was going to do the restoration work on it. Hmm. Well, all of those costumes, a lot of those costumes were all done by Alice hmm. when, you know, the small world was put together. So I, I put together the photos into a montage and, uh, and took it out to, got, got to meet Alice and I gave that to her and she was, you know, pretty happy about that, I think. Hmm. And so the second time I was there, I got to spend a little more time talking to her and she took me into what was what had been Mark's office. And she said, you can, you know, you can, that's the desk that he had at, at, at Disney if you want to sit there. And I said, <laughs> no. And I, I just took a chair that was next to it and said, I'll just sit here. And she goes, oh, good choice. That's the chair Walt used to sit in when he'd come and see Mark. <laughs> <laughs> so I jumped up and said, well, why don't I just sit on the floor? But yeah, so th- those were those were two that I think were really special. Um, let's see. I think the other dear friend that that I made was uh, June Foray. Oh yeah. And uh, I I met her. She came to a, an event early '90s, maybe it might have been 1990, 1991. And 
um, if you know June or knew June, she was maybe four foot eleven tops, yeah. <laughs> and probably weighed as much as a small book. Yeah, and she came walking in. We were at a um, it wasn't a restaurant. It was like a bar, but it was closed off for the event. And she came in, and they hopped her up, and so she was sitting on the bar. And the first thing she said is, "Where the hell's my scotch?" <laughs> <laughs> and then. Uh, you know, we all got to talk to her for a while and I took some pictures and I sent her a note with one of the pictures and said, and I'd love for you to sign it if you would. And if not, no problem. About a week after I send it, the phone rings and I mm -hmm. pick it up. She goes, is Don there? And I said, <laughs> this is Don. She goes, darling, this is Jennifer. And she's talking like Natasha. Yeah. From, <laughs> right. And I'm, and then it was June. Mm -hmm. And we talked and we talked and we talked for, I don't know, 40 minutes, an hour. And uh, it, it ended and she said, you should come, you know, if you're ever out in California, let me know. You want to get mm -hmm. together. And I said, I'm out in California all the time. We go there a lot. <laughs> right. So every time we would go to California, whether it was Bill and I or Diane and I, we would, I would call June and she would say, well, here, here's the time. Let's do it. And we'd go over to her house and and just spend hours and hours listening to her and cool. uh, this you know the stories that she had out and it, you know to me when I look at her she she did so much with movies because instead of bringing back actors to redo a sequence they'd call in June who would do that voice. And they wouldn't have to pay an actor to come back or an actress to come back and do those lines that they needed re-recorded. Right. So she was in a lot of movies, <laughs> but just as the voiceover. But but listening to all the all the things that she would talk about uh, from the industry, where it was, I used to eventually take a tape recorder and hmm. I would just start it, and she would go on for hours. Wow. And and it was really really intriguing listening to her, and, and she was such a such a sweetheart. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, I did get to meet her a couple times. So um, the first time, I think, I don't think it was that's the first time it was second time. Well, it might have been the second time, but I uh, I had just written my book about total television, and uh, Ben Eaton Galleries was in San Diego Comic Convention, and she had just done her book. Uh, with Mark Evanier and Earl Cress. Uh you might know me from whatever I think is the name of the you know yeah she you, did you one I think was Perverse Universe and then the other one was Did You Grow Up With Me Too? That's the name like of it. That. Yes, thank you. Yeah. And uh they just sat us side by side. So we we're both signing books. And so <laughs> while we we're signing books, you know, we just chit chat about different things. I'd ask her a few things. Uh years later there was um the other time I met her um that I know for sure is uh Daryl Van Sitters did a Rocky and Bullwinkle or Jay Ward oversized hardback. And yeah, he I, and, I have several. <laughs> yeah. And excuse me. My throat's tickling. <clears throat> Sorry. Uh and he and her were sitting side by side, and uh, you know, they were just signing the books. But at that point in her life, she was very, very elderly, you know, and so and I was like, wow. And when she signed, she's hand was moving very slow. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, because, you know, I know everybody gets older and, you know, passes on and stuff. It's just sad when, you, you know, 
when you previously saw her, she was all energetic and everything like that. And it's just like, you know, so. Yeah, you're right. Because I, I remember early on when uh, we would visit and I'd ask her questions about that because she was the voice of Chatty Cathy, if you remember that doll that yeah. was on the market. Yeah. Right. And she did uh, uh, the other creepy voice. Oh, Talking Tina from the Twilight yeah. Zone. Twilight I think Zone, yeah. I can't remember the name of the episode even. Yeah. But um, and. So I said, I remember this voice and, and talking Tina would just used to creep me out. So then she spent 10 minutes talking and talking Tina voice. And I was like, <laughs> oh, this, this, this is really kind of creepy. <laughs> uh, but then as, as time went on, yeah. everything, she'd, you know, do a voice and it sounded, you know, everything started to sound kind of like Natasha. And that yeah. was, you know, it was like, it was Rocky. No, it wasn't Rocky. It was kind of Natasha that was a squirrel. And yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> My favorite voice of hers was always... I always call it the Marjorie Main voice. I don't know what else to call it, you know, just that kind of gruff, you know, voice that she'd use for, you know, heavy set women, women and stuff like that. Rich Hazel. Yeah, yeah, and <laughs> you know that that type of voice, you know, and she used it a lot, you know, and but it always cracked me up. So <laughs> anyway, I think that was actually probably closer to her voice. Yeah, I mean that's kind of how you know when you sit and talk with her for a while. That was she always was like, oh, I'm kind of talking to Witch Hazel. Yeah. <laughs> when, even when she wasn't doing a voice, she was kind of Witch Hazel. Maybe. Right. So, um, who else have you met over the years? Just curious. Let's see, Mary Gosser, Dia. Well, you know, most of the animators that are that are you know friends now mm -hmm. are people like Tom Cito, Bob Kurtz, who I you know I think the world oh, yeah. of Bob. Mm -hmm. And you know, I'll, I'll tell you when I first met Bob, he was at some event and i got a couple of pictures and i think i bought a cell that was uh from blind golf which is if you've never seen it or anything it, it's hilarious it's a bunch of golfers and they're on hole like 496 they're all blind mm. and it, it certainly wouldn't fly today but it flew today. <laughs> but uh i i sent him a note and said it was you know great to meet you um and uh would you sign this picture for me and he's his his assistant here is actually is not his assistant it's actually his daughter Shelly who works mm -hmm. at Kurtz and Friends um called me up and said Bob actually remembers meeting you and I said well, that could be bad or it could be good I don't know <laughs> and uh, and and he'd love to sign it and she so she, he did and so the next time I was going out to California I had some cells from Jurassic Park you know Mr DNA and the dinosaur where he did the animated piece where they're on the ride at Jurassic Park. Mm -hmm. And then um, some of the sales from City Slickers. Hmm. And I, I called um, Bob at, at his, his uh, studio and said, you know, hey, I, I have these sales. Um, would you be interested in, or would I, could I talk you into signing them? He goes, yeah, come on by. <laughs> so I went by. And again, it was another two, three hours uh, spent talking to Bob. And, you know, he brought up, the one thing that I don't know whether I should thank him or curse him for, um, <laughs> he kept throwing out the name T. He, mm -hmm. and who was obviously his mentor. Not yes. obviously, he mentioned it. He said, "This is my mentor, T. He." Yeah, and I felt, I felt kind of bad because I I didn't know a lot about T. He. In fact, mm -hmm. I knew nothing about T. He. Yeah, I'd seen Mother Goose Goes Hollywood and Coconut. I've seen all those, but I really didn't hadn't you know looked into the animation slash writer aspect of them which which t was on uh, um uh not coconut grove but oh mother goose goes hollywood he was the writer mm -hmm. 
So <laughs> I, I thought, well, I, I must find out more. Well, in doing so, I became a rabid tea collector <laughs> and ended up with, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of drawings because tea was a prolific drawer. Yeah. He drew everything. I, I have some sheets from his, uh, where he would attend the Academy Awards. Mm -hmm. And on the back of it, he would, he would do his drawings. Mm -hmm. So those are, those are all, all fabulous things. And I, you know, I, every now and then I would sit, you know, sit to say to Bob, damn you. <laughs> <laughs> you, you sent me down another cataclysmic hole. Yeah. And also T he worked everywhere. It seemed like, you know, and, um, I interviewed Bob Kurtz mainly twice. I've talked to him a few times, uh, but once was for my DePatty Freeling book, and the other was for uh, my Chipmunks book, which also is a format films book. And uh, you know, he was explaining how Tehe worked with him there and everything like that, and you know how he designed the Chipmunks and everything like that. So long boring story unless you read the book <laughs> but yeah he's very entertaining you know I, I shouldn't say that he's boring no he's never boring you know so you know he has great stories to tell yeah so yeah he's he's a he's a class act I I, I think the world of Bob mm -hmm. and you know I think that almost any animator that's you know doing a lot now uh, I probably run into uh, but I probably haven't formed the kind of friendships that I've done with like Bob and and, and even Tom. Mm -hmm. And then um, did you, you know, I'll just name drop on my end, uh, you know, people I've met over the years, but, you know, I wasn't ever friends with them, but I met them. Uh, did you ever meet Frizz Freeling or no? I, I met Frizz. Okay. I did not know him. Yeah. That's and he basically. always reminded me kind of Jew and he was a little, little short guy, but I mean, he was just always on a mission. Right. <laughs> and uh, another one I met, I, I, I was supposed to be both Hannah and Barbara when I bought my, uh, it's on my wall, I'm looking at uh, uh, original artwork of Yogi Bear uh, at an art gallery, but uh, Joe Barbera was sick that day, so I only met Bill Hannah, and, uh, you know, he was nice and cordial to everybody. A lot of people say he, he never really did much, you know, on the, uh, you know, the animation side. That was more of Joe's kind of forte, but I don't know. I, th I, th I thought he was, you know, cordial enough. You know, so, you know. I think most of the drawings I have that are signed by both Bill and and Joe were drawn by Joe. I mean, when, yeah. when you look at you know Rosie the robot and you know some of those, mm. I would look at it and go, oh, "Okay, I have a couple of those that that Joe signed, so I know mm. he did them." And then I would see some others, and and some of it was, "Oh, okay." Uh, I know that Joe drew that and Bill just like, oh, Bill Hannah. Okay, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, and I'm looking at this again, is uh, this Yogi Bear drawing. It's a, it's a two panel. It's it, You're talking about single panel strips. Well, this would be the size of a single panel strip of Yogi Bear, but uh, they did two panels in the single panel spot. Uh, when I bought it, it was attributed to Gene Hazleton. And so, you know, that's all I thought it was. And uh, years later, I found out it wasn't Gene Hazelton at all. <laughs> it's Eisenberg. So it's like, you know, you know, <laughs> you know, so, oh, well, you know, but, you know, so I actually corrected on the back of the thing. It's I got it from Circle Art Gallery, which was a 
uh, fine art gallery. Yeah, and they'd get like uh, various animation pieces every so often. And I probably paid way too much for it, but you know, I'm happy I got it. And but I actually lined out the name Gene Hazelton because it's not. So anybody in the future will see if you know they come in possession. What did he do that for? Well, it's because <laughs> I was correcting the error. <laughs> so anyway, I uh, the other one uh, I, I know I've met Bob Sanger before, and I I think Bob okay. is is one of those one of those classics. And I at one time had some um, background roughs, a panel of four of them for a Flintstones episode. And when I got them, somebody said, oh, that's uh, Bob Singer. Hmm. I said, well, I'm skeptical, but okay. So I sent um, an image of it to Bob. Mm -hmm. And Bob said, well, I can tell you two things. Number one, it's not mine. And number two is that's Dick Bickenbaugh. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, well, there's two pieces of information that that -hmm. helped me a lot. But the funny story about Bob, uh, I asked him one time, do you still do or do you do any commissions? Because I, I didn't have anything that that Bob had drawn. I had, you know, cells that he had worked on. And uh, he said, well, only if it's something I like. And I thought, <laughs> it sounds like a challenge. I said, how about Flintstones? He goes, I like Flintstones. I oh, said, cool. okay. So he said, what are you interested in? And I said, well, I've always liked the scenes where the family's in the car. And he goes, I love that scene. And I said, well, great. And so it would be, you know, Fred and Barney and Wilma and Betty. He goes, Mm -hmm. great. He said, what about the kids? I said, well, yeah, let's put in Pebbles and Bam Bam. I said, how about Dino? He goes, can't have it without Dino. I said, great. So he went off and he was drawn. And while I got to thinking about it, I thought, you know, the character that I missed that I, you know, was, was actually in every episode, although I think he only appeared officially in four or five of the episodes, but he was, it was Baby Puss, the cat that was always oh, yeah, yeah. getting put out by Fred, and then it would come back in and kick Fred out, and that was, and he was in every episode that way. <laughs> so I called Bob, and I said, what about Baby Puss? And I knew that by now the car is just <laughs> packed with characters. Mm-hmm. And Bob said, uh, you know, I've got, an, I've got an idea. And so when the piece arrived, it was the car with Fred, Wilma, Barney, and uh, Betty, the kids. And in the back was a sidecar with Dino and, uh, and, or no, Dino was in the car with his head poked through the roof. Okay. Baby Puss was in the sidecar behind the car, <laughs> riding along with it. And it's a, fa- it's a fabulous piece. Mm-hmm. You're naming all these people that have actually been on uh, this podcast. Uh, Camden actually got Bob to be on the show pretty recently, so. And he was very good. Yeah, I think yes. it was just a couple of episodes ago. If I, I I saw it out there, I haven't looked at it yet. It was after uh, Tom had been on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I always thank Camden. He's the one who's gotten most of the people. I've you know tried to get certain ones on here, and then he he manages to do it. So I'm like, okay, you know. <laughs> um, one of these days, I, I I still am trying to get Floyd Norman. He just has said he's he'd like to do it, but he's too busy. But you know, one of these days, I hopefully I'll get him. But you know. Anyway, yeah. Floyd's kind of because I, you know, I've had a couple of things that I've done with Floyd, and he goes, "Oh, I just don't have time to do that. I'm I'm really busy." And and I know he is because the guy probably works as hard now as he did when he, you know, was actually yeah. fully employed by Disney. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, uh, I'd get a note from him. He goes, oh, "I finished those three. I'll send them to you." <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, oh, okay, I guess 
you know, when it frees up, it frees up. Right. So, um, looking at your wall, you you have like a little bit of everything. Like you have little statues, you have animation drawings, you have animation cells. What is your favorite thing to collect? Um. Boy, that's that's a, that's kind of like saying who's your favorite kid if you have a few kids. Well, but I mean, you know, do you pre- which do you prefer? I'll say this. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, it doesn't mean that's all you collect, but I mean, do you prefer I, cells over three yeah. three dimensional figures or? Um... I, I do only because when I look at and I guess the order in which I would do it is I would say the drawing is the absolute original, right? Because yeah. it was it was touched by the hand of either a director or a prime animator or you know, if you got the good cells, otherwise you got an, an in-betweener, right? Mm-hmm. And then the next thing is the cell. Mm-hmm. And and those are kind of the the one-offs, right? When you when you find a production cell, you know that it's the only one that exists. There may be others that are very close in a sequence down the line, two or three frames away, mm-hmm. assuming they didn't peel off the arms and legs, mm-hmm. but it's it's the only one of a kind. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, and then of course, when you get to the 3D things, most of those are, you know, they're printed out and even if they're limited editions, they may be limited to 50 or something, but it's still, there's 50 of those out there. Yeah. But I still love them. Yeah. I have <clears throat> a boatload of uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Love mm-hmm. Nightmare Before Christmas. Probably mm-hmm. one of my top favorite cartoons, animation sequences that uh, Grinch is probably number one. Mm-hmm. Um, although if somebody disagreed with me, I wouldn't get in a fight over it because I, I love them all. But, <laughs> but the Grinch is probably my my favorite uh, mm-hmm. nightmare, uh, I, mainly because I'm a I'm a huge Tim Burton fan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I started adding the collectible side, and the Roadrunner is a bronze that was done by uh, oh geez, shoot me if I forgot his name, Randy Noble. Okay, <laughs> or low gosh. Oops. It was Lawrence Noble. <laughs> Randy's his son. Oh, okay. Um, and that was, it's actually a color piece now, but originally, originally he did um, six in the original patina. And mm-hmm. that was one of the test runs that, that they did. <laughs> and let's see. The three-dimensional um, Wiley is a Dave Avanzano piece, which and I love I love Dave's work, but he does a lot of those cutouts where he makes a 3D image um, and puts it together, but they're all, well, I guess they're fairly unique because those are all one-of-ones. I mean, he only makes one of them. Mm-hmm. And then the up on the wall are the are some charcoals. Yeah. Um, back back in uh, 96. Well, somebody's gonna somebody's gonna jump on my dates and and I'm gonna be proved to be an idiot. But I think it was 96, 97. I'm gonna go with 96. Okay. Uh, Chuck did a series of jaclays. It was called the Character um, Portfolio, mm-hmm. and it was 20 limited edition jaclays of 20 different characters. Mm-hmm. These are the original charcoals that the jaclay was made mm. from. Well, wow. two of them. The other two. Others are down the hall, but um, mm-hmm. and that's what those are. The Gossamer, which is up there, is probably one of my favorites. And it, it was one that I had a chance to 
uh, sit and talk to Chuck about. Hmm. And I, the amazing thing to me was the paper is just like an orange, large orange piece of constructed paper. Right. And, and the, the gossamer is created by, you know, shadings, right? He shaded <laughs> out. And I said, it's amazing to me. This is what I wanted to say. I wanted to say, it's amazing your use of negative space in creating gossamer. Right. right. And what I probably said was, wow, that's really cool. I can't imagine how you would do that because <laughs> all, all you've done really is you just blacked out the things that weren't gossamer. Right. And he and Chuck, you know, kind of looked at me like, well, I'm a, this is what it must be like to be slow. But he looked at me and said, gossamer was on the page the whole time. I just needed to scrape away the stuff you didn't need to see. And I thought, <laughs> that's why I don't animate. Right. right. <laughs> because to me, Gossamer wasn't on the page. It was just an orange piece of paper. Right. Different perspectives. Right? <laughs> it, it is. Um, what was I going to ask? Uh, oh, I know. Uh, when you have gotten your various pieces of art and everything over the years, uh, you said you, you stopped by that Chuck Jones gallery and stuff in the past and things like that. Uh, how did you get your pieces in the past? I think nowadays it's a lot easier with you know, eBay and everything else. Uh, right. But in, you know, you're driving around and everything like that. But it, was it difficult in the early days of collecting to obtain pieces just because? It, it was, wasn't... it was more, I think, I think then it required more personal work because, mm -hmm. it, you know, you had, you had kind of your black book of galleries. Right. And you'd go, okay, the Chuck Jones gallery, this is, you know, this is where I do this. And, then circle gallery and in tune and, you know, amazing. And, you know, all of those things and you'd have them in there. And this is what I would get there. And so you'd have your contacts at those places. If I wanted something Simpsons, Simpsons, I was calling Acme up in uh, California. If I wanted, you know, something that was um, Seuss, I was probably calling Chase or um, whatever the place down in Louisiana was. And I can't remember what it was called. That's okay. <laughs> um, but so, you know, you would, I would call those places, you know, if it was Schultz, you know, everybody had, and then I had some go-to guys, you know, Mike Van Eaton, probably one of the smartest guys on the planet when it comes yeah. to animation. He's probably the only guy I've ever gone to and said, I, you know, I don't know what this sells from. He'd go, oh, well, that's from, and he'd name it. And I'd go, oh yeah, you're probably right. And he yeah. would be He's just mm -hmm. an amazing encyclopedia of information. Mm -hmm. um, but that, and you're right, but now it's just, I can go online and find something somewhere and it may be a place that I hadn't even, you know, wasn't even in my realm of, uh, of, of tracking, but mm -hmm. I can find it because it's, it's online. Mm -hmm. So yeah, right now I think collecting is easier yeah. as far as being able to obtain things. The process to me is pretty much the same. Yeah. If I love it, I'm going to find it. Yeah. It's just a matter of when. Because I, I remember when I first got started getting the first time I ever saw an animation cell, period, was at Disneyland, and it wasn't uh, the way it was. Like when Disneyland opened up, apparently they had Roy Williams, and he just and they'd sell them for like nothing, like a buck or something like that, maybe fifty cents or something like that. I never remembered those days. I always remember animation cells always as a kid being out of my reach you know it's like you know um it'd be like a hundred dollars and then when i go down to disney again oh i think i'll buy one now they're 300 it's like ah you know? <laughs> you know? but uh i i've, I've uh, acquired a few different odd 
odds and ends over the years and stuff like that. Uh, original art. I have like a, um, I always wanted a, a Bullwinkle cell or original drawing somewhere. And I was told for years, oh, all that stuff was destroyed, which pretty much all was, you know, although Gerald and Scissors did unearth some things. But uh, I managed to get animation cells from the Bullwinkle Cheerios commercial, so I have that. <laughs> and original drawings, too. So that's one of my yeah, I, I took some prized of positions. So <laughs> I think I only had one. Oh, I guess it was Rocky. It was a Rocky yeah. cell. Mm -hmm. and some bullwinkle drawings but they were from a commercial and i took them out and uh and june said well i didn't do the voice to bullwinkle i said i know that i just thought i'd bring them so you can see them she goes oh no i didn't say i wouldn't sign them i just told you i didn't do the voice <laughs> <laughs> and then she signed everything i was like oh, okay <laughs> cool so at, at this point um you know are you on the hunt for it anything and everything still or do you kind of are you satisfied with what you have or what's i i don't know that any collector that has been infected with the collecting gene in <laughs> earnest is ever satisfied with what they have but i think at some point you look at it and go there has to be at least an off-road that i can slow down <laughs> a little but i you know, I right now I I have so many things that mm -hmm. when we when we built the house, this house, um, I I said to the builder Diana, I said we only have three requirements, so it should be pretty easy. Number one is I love Frank Lloyd Wright, so I want something that that has a lot of the oblique angles. I want a single story because I'm already too old to climb upstairs, and my knees won't take it anymore. And the other thing is I want the maximum amount of wall space you can put in a house without making it look like a cinder block because I have a lot of art. Yeah. Well, once you fill up all the walls and you still have a storage unit full of art, it's probably time to, to be a little more selective. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, am I hunting anything? I probably have some items that are on my hit list, but it's more like, when I see something, I know I must have it when I see it. Right. Because I'll go, okay, collecting really is um, opportunistic. Right. The opportunity comes along mm -hmm. and you either take it or you don't. My biggest regret, regret, I stopped to sound like Elmer Fudd. <laughs> My biggest regret was I was out in uh, Las Vegas uh, decades ago and there was a little animation place there. And I went in and they had three cells, three different cells, and they were Bugs Bunny. One mm -hmm. was Chuck Jones, one was Frizz, and one was, I think one was Tex Avery. Mm. And I said, oh, that's that's great. I'll, I'm going to think about it and I'll come back tomorrow. I went back tomorrow. Of course, Tex Avery was gone. And I, I thought, yeah, that's what I get. I just learned my own lesson. Yeah. You snooze, you lose. Yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, so I, I think that I'm kind of at the at the stage where maybe some of the, uh, you know, it's kind of like cards. Right? You, you deal from the top. Well, mm -hmm. it's time to deal off from the top some of the things that have floated up there and put the good stuff on the bottom yeah. and and kind of cull the collection that way and just keep adding the, the premium mm -hmm. stuff. What do you think is 
your most prized possession. It doesn't mean most valuable. It just means uh, that you're happiest of owning if, if you can. I mean, you said, you know, it's hard to pinpoint one thing, but you know, (laughs) that you love, but. (laughs) I, I, I think there are, are several, but they fall into a couple of categories. I have one piece um, that is uh, a Tex Avery. Uh, it's not even a cartoon. It was done in 1932, and it's a it's done in uh, India ink and colored colored ink. And mm-hmm. it's just a it's just a campy like a cartoon image. But it was kind of done at the time when Tex Avery had just you know was starting to break into his own. You know, 1932. That, that wasn't too far out of school for Tex. <laughs> so I, I think that's a, a a really nice piece. I mean, it's it's got some some real teeth from a historical standpoint into, you know, some of the, some of the things that Tex did early on and and then how he moved into uh, what he, yeah, what we all know that he really did well. And the yeah. other things that are really, are, are really kind of special just because of who did them and the ability to participate as limited as it was were the Chuck Jones commissions that I have. Right? I have a couple of, of watercolors that, that Chuck did and we sat there while he did the sketch and, you know, Cindy Lou, who was one of them. And the other was one that he, I said, uh, can I just give you some characters and, and tell you what? And he goes, stop, just give me the characters. And I said, yeah. hey, how about bugs, Marvin and canine? He goes, that's all I need. And then we sat there while he did. And it's, it's, it's fabulous. And I, I really, I really, and those, those kinds of things mean a lot. I, I have some things that, that Floyd Norman, did for me that I think are stunning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I think the the ones that, you know, I kind of would hang on to and, you know, until the, the my dying day would be the the Chuck Jones commissions mm-hmm. and and probably the Tex Avery piece. And I'm sure that as soon as I'm done with this, I'm going to go, oh, crap, I meant to mention. <laughs> but yeah, that's probably, those are no, probably that's okay. Right. No, there's no right or wrong. I mean, it's like, um, in usually when you like something it's like at the forefront you know i i can think of things in my collection and go oh yeah yeah i like this and i mentioned the bullwinkle cells that is like one of my top things you know because it was it was an opportunity thing that was because i asked like van eaton and stuff like that years ago and he had nothing of jay ward later he did you know get some things but you know it's just it was impossible to get stuff like that way back when we're talking late 70s early 80s and you know then slowly over time some of that stuff came out and that's when an opportunity came along so yeah (laughs) i think uh the only i own a lot of j ward limiteds that he Mm -hmm. signed i don't think i have one j ward cell that was signed i do Mm -hmm. have quite a few drawings but Mm -hmm. you know that's j ward cell signed cells those are kind of the elusive one of the elusive holy grails that are out there right <laughs> and if yeah, they mine, are, mine aren't signed though but you know it's like at least they're originals that's one thing right. i'm happy about but, um so is there any plan and there's no no requirement to say yes you know is there any plans for your collection to make something with it like a book or something like that just to say here's my stuff or <laughs> anything like that or give a talk or anything or um, well i've i've actually you know at one time <clears throat> i i did what well i can't remember even what i call it i think it was a um some it was like a the 2010 t- 
tour of a tour of the I can't remember it was some kind of a tour, mm-hmm. and it was basically a a talking walk around tour of the house, <laughs> and you know of all the animation that was there and talking about the animation pieces, not about you know oh geez I own this or I own that, but it was kind of like the history and the story behind how it ended up on the wall in that place, mm-hmm. why it sits there, why it whenever things get rearranged, why it never moves or why maybe it's more seasonal than something else. Um, you know, I've got the back room that at one time was all Charlie Brown. It was mm-hmm. all the stuff that Bill Melendez did. Um, and I had a number of cells that <clears throat> Bill had done and they were signed by Charles Schultz, which made mm-hmm. them, I mean, Charles Schultz never did animation, right. but he signed the cells. And I said, this is interesting because I know Bill did them and, right. and, and, and Schultz signed them. That's still cool. <laughs> but, yeah. And so, you know, it was just kind of a, a tour and, and I did do a couple of, of talks that way. But uh, no, I've, I've never, I don't know that anybody would even really care <laughs> about it anymore. Yeah. I just think of it because I go, hey, it looks kind of interesting. Some of the things, if you had a, a huge, huge amount that you could never possibly display everything at once, you know, it might yeah, be. Right. Uh, I think that. You probably could if you moved out all the furniture and went floor to ceiling. <laughs> but, you know, with a finite number of walls, uh, I, I think some of the, uh, uh, you know, the other piece, and, and, you know, if you if you keep talking, I'm going to keep thinking of things that I, are my favorite, and now I'm going to name one more because okay. this one is, and it's Tom Everhart. Mm-hmm. I think that Tom Everhart, who is the only one that's still licensed to do uh, peanuts, mm-hmm. right, from the, from the Schultz Foundation. Uh, I have a number, uh, we have uh, a number of his original acrylics mm-hmm. <clears throat> that hang in the house that I think are, um, and then they're the older ones, and I think they're they're really stunning. Mm-hmm. I, I love his work, too. Mm-hmm. Do you have any original Charles Schultz um, panels? Or I do. I have some drawings that he okay. did. Okay, okay. Um, no, stri- no original strips. Or I have one, but it's a daily. You know, yeah, if I had a, that's if I had a few if Sunday comics, um, yeah. you know, I probably would have retired 40 years ago instead. <laughs> but yeah, I I just have one. If you have one, one, that's one more than I have because I don't <laughs> have any. I mean, I I never ever saw them around or anything. And then I think there was a couple opportunities, but it was kind of pricey. And then then he passed away, and then they went whoop, you know, and that was the end of that. So it's like, yeah. So, <laughs> but oh, I do have his autograph. I did meet the man once. Uh, oh, really? He, he gave a talk in um, San Francisco about 1991, I think. And, uh, you know, it was a friend of mine who says, Oh, Charles Schultz is going to be at the De Young Museum. You want to go? And I go, Do I? Let's go. Do I? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, I didn't, I brought a, you know, a book with me having him sign just one of the strip collections and i didn't know if he would sign anything or not but fortunately he did but you know the thing i remember and i always tell this story because it's just kind of oddly like well it is schultz but i mean oddly like uh something that could be in peanuts but very dark um uh, somebody had like a poster or something and they they he was taking questions from the audience and it was a kid or something, a teenager, or something. and they said, "Oh, can can I come up there and get your autograph?" 
And he goes, no. And he was sitting on this stool with just a microphone. And he says, the reason why is the floor around me is electrocuted, <laughs> electrified or whatever. And it's like, wow, you know. <laughs> um, and then a few minutes later, he says, yeah, I was just kidding. Come on up, you know. So everybody came on up and got their things autographed. And so I got my, got my book autographed, you know, so. There we go. <laughs> yeah, but, unfortunately, as close as I ever got, I, I was at the Chuck Jones um, Museum and mm-hmm. got to meet Jeannie Schultz. Yeah, that's as close. I've as met her a few times. Yeah. Ever got. Have, have you gone out to the Schultz Museum in Santa Rosa? Yeah. Oh, okay. No, no, oh. it was. Um, gosh, where was it? <laughs> it's right out where she lives. Because she doesn't live that far from the museum that I went to. Well, that should be the Charles M. Schultz Museum, yeah. It must be. Yeah. It's I, in, I don't know my and the, about that. And the, and the, oh, okay. And the skating <laughs> rinks next door and everything like that. So, yeah. That's in Santa Rosa, California. So, oh. anyway. Anyway, yeah. I've been there a few times. So, um, I guess at this point, I was just kind of curious. Any... Uh, uh plans in the near future of traveling around and uh meeting and greeting or purchasing or whatever um i'm you know with with the last few years that have been kind of crazy i've been kind of reticent to to go any place uh as soon as as soon as that comfort level goes up uh i i sure will be heading back out to california like i said diane and i we'd be out to california many times a year probably four or five, six times a year, just because we have a lot of friends out there, a lot, a lot of Disney artists that live out there, the Mike Congles, the Dan Killen, mm-hmm. <clears throat> those folks um, are all out there. So, you know, we would go out there a lot because it's always been a lot of fun. Yeah. But um, that's probably the first place I'll be heading back when we head out yeah. and about. Well, this this calendar year was the first year I went back to California, and I went back four times <laughs> this year. And I told my family, it's like, all right, I'm done. You know, my dad lives down there and stuff. It's like I said, I'm done oh. for this. You come and visit me now. But uh, prior to this year, I had not gone in three years. So, you know, because of the pandemic and everything. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, I made up for lost time. <laughs> so that's, oh. so this is, and then next year I'm going to do my first international travel in ages. I'm going to England uh, to do a Beatles trip. So. You know, that's oh, and I don't know if I'll see anything there animation wise, you know, because you know, it's like I'm familiar with a lot of British animation stuff like that too, and drawings and artists and stuff. So I'm like, hmm, I wonder what I'll see, <laughs> you know, because I had no idea. <laughs> so. My only uh, my only um, Beatles uh, adjourn thing is that uh, I was at um, we were over in, in England. And obviously, I went to Abbey Road just to see the studio. And when I was living in Atlanta, many, many, many decades ago, <laughs> the guy I was rooming with worked at Abbey Road for a while. And he was one of the guys that Roger Waters tagged to do some of the speaking on um, the uh, Dark Side of the Moon album. And oh, wow. That, yeah, I've heard that he, before. He would go out yeah, and grab yeah. random people like yeah, Paul yeah. McCartney was yeah. in the studio. And so I said, so great. You were on one of the greatest selling albums in the history of music. And he goes, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> he said, I don't remember receiving any royalties for it. For God's yeah, sake. I was going to say, you probably didn't even get paid. <laughs> oh, no. He, I think it was like <laughs> just a few words. That, 
like you said, Waters or or Gilmore ask a question, and he just responded, and then they yeah. moved on. Yeah, interesting. Although you know, if, if if I did it, I'd be kind of impressed, especially oh yeah, how successful that album is. So yeah, <laughs> I'm on there. <laughs> yeah well i can say this once one of my you know it's not like i really have a bucket list but just things that have happened in my life um i always wanted to be in the audience of a live concert album i don't know why <laughs> and then i finally got my wish about uh seven or eight years ago mickey dolan's did um, a tour of oregon i'm in oregon nowadays uh and did a concert with a full orchestra and they recorded it and they put it out on a cd and i said hey i'm in the audience you can't tell i'm in the audience but you know i didn't go hey i'm here it's mark you know but it's me mark. Know, but you know it's like i you know because i was actually there i remember it sounding like when i was there you know so i'm like hey. uh my only disappointment is they didn't put the full concert because they did more songs than what's on the album so i'm like Arr. anyway <laughs> But that's a besides the point. <laughs> anyway, I think one of the fun fun things I did when we were out in LA and I was out with Bill is went to one of the Simpsons table reads. Oh yeah, and wow! I'll tell you <laughs> what, you, you kind of you come in and there's chairs that there's a big oval conference table where the the voice actors sit. You know, Castellano mm-hmm. and uh, Nancy Cartwright and all of them sit around the table, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then around the edge of the room are just chairs and that's where the people that come to listen to the table read and they said when we got there they said okay just sit there don't do anything don't talk to any of it and we're like yeah yeah i'm fine i'll just sit here you get a copy of the script and you sat down as soon as they started somebody said hold on mm-hmm. and came around to everybody and said all right whatever you like laugh whatever you don't like don't do anything and, I mean, they said, we want we want to know what's going to fly. Huh. And so we'd sit there and they'd be reading. Of course, they read in voices. And it's just it's just hilarious to see Nancy right. Cartwright doing Bart. And, you know, mm-hmm. at that time they were doing Apu and everything. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Azaria is, is just a, a hilarity. But on the things that kind of fell, you would see the back of the area were the writers. And hmm. as soon as nobody laughed, you could just see them all write it. Oh my gosh, we got to change that. <laughs> and you go, that's not one we're going to hear in the cartoon. Oh, that's funny. Um, yeah, the closest I think I've seen, well, I've seen table reads on TV, but I mean, uh, the closest I've been where it's been live is, you know, people doing radio recreations and stuff like that. So old time radio shows. So, yeah. And met Chuck McCann, who, of course, did cartoon voices and things like that. And uh, Marvin Kaplan and a few others that way. Um, let's see, I'm trying to think who else I met, but anyway, <laughs> I could name drop too, but I can't remember all the names <laughs> right now. But anyway, um, anyway, I don't know, I don't know if I have any more questions at this time. Is there anything else you'd like to like uh, say about uh, just years of collecting before we go? <laughs> I it, it truly has been one of the one of the real rewarding. Uh, aspects of and and you know when I say collecting, I've collected stuff forever. Yeah, I think I've collected things vehemently in in very small areas and animation, animation drawing cells, and yeah. now the the three D mm-hmm. and even some of the you know if you see there's the 
Funko Pops, which are now the limited, um, <laughs> which I think are some spectacular pieces that they put out. You know, mm-hmm. NFTs that are coming out now, or you know, they've done a lot of NFTs. Warner Brother did NFTs. Well, not Warner, but I think Funko did a Warner Brothers collection in mm-hmm. NFTs. And it's just been, it's been a lot of fun pursuing all those things. It's obviously Great. kept me busy for 40 years. <laughs> Very cool. Well, here's to 40 more years of collecting and hope you find some more cool treasures and have more good encounters with animators and voice artists and all the other people that you enjoy. So. I, I know I will. I'm anxious to get back out to California to see some of those people. Okay. Well, when you plan a trip, let me know. I might plan a trip at the same time, and we'll join forces. <laughs> that sounds good. All right. Well, I, I thank you for being my special guest, Don. And uh, this has been another episode of Fun Ideas Podcast. And I'm your host, Mark Arnold, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Don Norwin, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 244 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas Podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2023. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you, and good night.